Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Under the Covers with Eve for Sunday, March 6th, 2016. I hope you all did your prep work (laughs) and saw the two movies that I'm going to talk about. If you didn't, that's okay, but I think you might enjoy it a little more if you did. So, um, hope you had a good week. I'm getting over a bit of a cold, so my voice is a little scratchier than I like, but hopefully you can bear with me. So the idea for this week's episode is pretty simple. I want you to think of it as movie night at Eve's place, (laughs) sort of. I just want to talk about a couple of films, kind of like a a book club, just to give you some of my thoughts on them. And um, and I'd, I'd love to hear what you think, too, whether you agree or disagree whether you liked them or hated them, or even if you got something else out of them than I did. Anything you want to say about them is fine, and if you have suggestions for other films, please let me know. I'd like to do this more often, I think. I I love movies, and I love discussing them. All sorts of movies. Independence, foreign films, everything. I think we can get a lot out of movies, besides just entertainment. And I think it's worth noticing when a writer or a director has produced something that has some value besides a few laughs or a a CGI explosion. So, grab your popcorn, put up your feet, use a coaster, let's get comfortable. (laughs) The first movie I'm going to talk about is Yes Man with Jim Carrey, Bradley Cooper, and Zoe Deschanel. It's based loosely on the novel by Danny Wallace, And it's essentially the story of a depressed guy named Carl, who becomes more and more reclusive after the breakup of his marriage. He actively avoids his friends. He doesn't do much but watch movies alone and go to work at his job as a loan officer. Like in most movies, and this is is one of the most unrealistic things about movies, I think, but nevertheless, like in most movies, he has a lot of people around him who care about him and try to bring him out of his shell, but he resists them all. Until he runs across an acquaintance who introduces him to the YES seminar. With the tagline, and I love this, YES is the new NO. And the idea behind it is that if you say YES to every opportunity in your life, your life will blossom and and you'll be happy. So he goes along with it. And the rest of the movie is just a series of comedic examples of how he begins to crawl out of his shell and experience new things, including meeting a new woman, Allison, with whom he falls in love. She's quirky and cute, and she's seemingly unconcerned with how others see her. She just enjoys her life. She sings in a very kooky band that has only five fans, and she teaches a 6 a.m. jogging photography class, which is just what it sounds like, taking pictures while jogging. (laughs) Carl takes flying lessons, guitar lessons, he learns to speak Korean, He starts approving every microloan applicant and starts accepting social invitations from his friends and even his uh, childlike but very sweet boss, played by Reese Darby from Flight of the Concords. I just love that guy. (laughs) As his life progresses, the things that he said yes to begin to be relevant to other people's lives. By speaking Korean, he helps a depressed bridal shop woman by uh, learning to play the guitar and singing Jumper by Third Eye Blind, Uh, he saves a man from suicide. Most of what happens to him is, naturally, the kind of far-fetched fantasy stuff of Hollywood, but it's entertaining, and Jim Carrey can pretty much sell anything. But the point of the movie 
I think, is not just to show how great and wonderful everything is if you just think positive. The key thing about this movie, for me, is that things don't always turn out great for Carl because of these decisions. In fact, some things go really sideways for him because of it. He gets promoted at work, but his, his sweet boss gets fired, and he's the one that has to tell him. He gets in a car accident. He gets interrogated as a terrorist by the FBI. And he loses Allison, at least for a little while. But that seems to be part of the whole theme. When you're living a full life, it isn't about being deliriously happy all the time. It's more like what Deadpool said. Um, <laughs> a train wreck interrupted by commercial-like breaks of happiness. I'm paraphrasing. But the point is, <laughs> life becomes richer. You become wiser. You learn things about yourself and life, and you learn to appreciate good things a lot more. So even if what you say yes to ends up being a failure or a non-starter, that doesn't really matter. I think the most important scene of the movie is when Carl and Allison have snuck into the Hollywood Bowl at night, and she says, I know there isn't a huge demand for blurry photos taken while jogging, but I just love doing it. She knows that her crazy band has only five fans. She doesn't care. She says, life is a playground. We know that as kids, but we forget that when we're adults. And I think that analogy is pretty apt. Because playgrounds aren't always fun and games. Sometimes you fall off the monkey bars, you know. Sometimes a bully throws sand in your face. But overall, you want to keep coming back to the playground. You don't know whether today will be a good day or not. Maybe you'll fall off the slide and break your nose. You don't know. But you want to go anyway. And I think it's these unexpected results, these things that you couldn't predict, that make life rich and rewarding. Things you look back on later and say, if I hadn't stopped for that bagel that day, you know, I would never have met so-and-so. Or if I hadn't taken that night school class, I would never have ended up meeting so-and-so who got me this job. Sometimes it's even the result of, of bad things. Breaking up with so-and-so was terrible, but if I hadn't done it, I wouldn't have moved to a new city and started making music or whatever. It really doesn't matter what makes us get off the couch and go live life. And it doesn't matter if we choose badly or make mistakes, which is what I think a lot of us are really afraid of. We're afraid that things can always get worse, that if we make an effort, if we try and fail, that we'll feel even worse. But my point is, even if you fail, it doesn't mean your life won't improve. At the very least, it makes life less predictable, less mundane. And I think that's key for depressed people. They see their future as already mapped out. They can't see anything different on the horizon. They believe that their future is going to roll out before them like a well-worn rug. You know, a familiar pattern, frayed around the edges, but unchanging. So that's what I think you can take from this movie. Like all movies, it had to condense things in terms of time, and it had to exaggerate for effect. So naturally, changes like this won't be so quick and dramatic in real life. And because it's a comedy, there's a pretty high quirk factor involved. Lascivious older landladies, kooky scooter girls who fall in love with you, bosses who have uh, come as your favorite Harry Potter character parties. But I think that if even just one or two of these types of things ever happened to you in real life, it would be something to grab onto and experience to the fullest.
Don't be afraid of what will happen. Don't worry about failing or making a mistake. Even those things can change the course of your life for the better. Okay, so the second movie, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Just a bit of background. The Secret Life of Walter Mitty was originally a short story written by James Thurber in 1939. And originally it was about a henpecked husband who has five elaborate and self-aggrandizing daydreams while on a shopping trip with his domineering wife. The story was made into a movie in 1947, starring Danny Kaye, and the details were changed considerably. In that movie, Walter was kicked around by pretty much everyone in his life until he met a woman who was actually involved in a plan to hide some Dutch jewels from the Nazis, and so Walter becomes involved for real in a true-life adventure. But the 2013 version, written by Steve Conrad and directed by and starring Ben Stiller, is different again, and focuses more on a lonely man who never achieves his grand dreams, rather than someone who is henpecked or maltreated. There is a little bit of that, of course, but the main point seems to be that Walter just led a closed-off life, and essentially lived inside his fantasy world. The movie begins with a dull day in the, the life of what appears to be a very dull man, until we get a glimpse of his inner world, where he's a dashing hero capable of amazing feats, or he's a mountain climber or an astronaut. We see him trying to make a connection with a woman he works with, but he can't do much more than dream about her or try to reach her on a dating site, neither of which work out very well. He works at the now-defunct Life magazine, and the story takes place as the print magazine is closing down for good, with all the angst and drama that accompanies a corporate mercy killing. He plods through the day in a sad kind of way, taking abuse from the smarmy jerks who have come in to oversee the last issue, mired in his own closed-off world. We're not even really sure why Walter should be so closed off. Maybe that's the point of this version of Walter Mitty. You don't need to have other people around you, stopping you, or beating you down, or abusing you. Sometimes it's enough just that you don't value yourself highly enough, or take enough chances. He has a vibrant sister and mother who love him. He has the respect of his closest co-worker, and as we find out, one of the world's most celebrated photojournalists, too. And yet, he's still an unhappy, unfulfilled man. His life-changing moment comes when this photojournalist, played by Sean Penn, whose photos Walter has been processing and archiving for years, sends him the final roll of film and the shot that will be used for the final cover of the magazine, except that the negative is missing. The one killer shot that everyone is just desperate to see is missing. And Walter is desperate to find it. So he and the woman that he's interested in, Cheryl, take a look at other negatives on the roll as clues to Sean's location, hoping that if they can track him down, they can get the missing negative. Piecing clues together, Walter believes Sean is in Greenland, and so he goes off in pursuit. He finds out he's always one step behind Sean, but in pursuing him, he starts to experience things he's never dreamed of doing before, like jumping into the ocean from a helicopter or else rediscovering things he did in his youth, like skateboarding down an incredibly hilly road in Iceland, one of the best shots of the movie. There are lots of typical Hollywood out-there coincidences and far-fetched plot points, but the climax of the movie, to my mind, happens when Walter finally tracks down Sean in the Himalayas. Sean is perched high up in a rugged, remote spot, 
waiting patiently to capture a photo of an elusive snow leopard. Walter blunders right into Sean's line of sight and finally gets to discover where the negative is. It's inside a wallet that Sean has sent him as a gift. A gift that Walter had thrown away. You know, spot the irony here. In the themes class, get your pencil sharpened. This is a theme. And um, he'd thrown it away, ignoring the inscription that said, look inside. Now I know this is considered to be the meaning and even the climax of the whole movie, but if I were the creative writing teacher here, class, I would nudge the climax just a few moments on. I would say that the moment Sean gets the cat in his frame and decides not to take the picture, that's the real climax, the real meaning behind the whole story. The way Sean puts it, sometimes he just enjoys the moment and he doesn't take the shot. And to me that seemed to be a metaphor for the whole idea that life isn't a destination, it really is a journey. It's not about clicking the shutter and getting the shot, or about achieving some fixed goal and then feeling a vague sense of, now what, afterwards. I like that Sean Connell is a vibrant, living life to the fullest type guy, and that he seems to understand that this is the real meaning of life, if there is one. The experience changes Walter, of course. It goes back to the States to chew out the horrible corporate guy. And because it's Hollywood, Walter, of course, gets together with Cheryl. But again, I hope you can see past the typical happy ending and see that even if he hadn't gotten together with her, even if he'd returned home and she really was reunited with her ex, as he originally thought, he would still have been changed for the better by the whole experience. This is common to both films, of course, that if you pursue your life, you'll get a girl. Now, naturally, it doesn't always work out this way. But as I've said before, I don't think it's too far off. You will find a woman when you are out there living your life. And she will be attracted to you because of the things you're doing and because of how much more alive and vibrant and confident you are. How you will have so much more to offer her than just how much you like her. If you notice, too, the directors of both movies went to real effort to show their main characters becoming physically happier looking dressing better, looking younger and more vibrant as the movies progressed. These are subtle choices that the directors make, but I think it reaches us on some level. In Walter Mitty in particular, Ben Stiller starts off looking a bit grey and tired, and by the end of the film, he looks about ten years younger and much more vital, even more handsome. I do think Walter Mitty is the better movie, not just because it's a little more serious. As comedies go, Yes Man works quite well. But if you think about the two characters, the difference between them is that Carl has just shut down. He's collapsed into himself. And he just embarks on a lot of kind of silly things to see where it will take him. Walter is a dreamer. He imagines all these amazing things he can do and be, and he wants the girl. Walter is truly a courageous man, in the truest sense of the word. Courage isn't about not feeling fear. It's about feeling fear and doing it anyway. What both movies manage to get across is that if you're depressed or even just unhappy with your life, the answers are out there. Life is external. It's not in your head. So while it's a good idea to introspect, to think about things you want, to make plans and that sort of thing, nothing that you do just in your own mind or even in the confines of your own room is ever going to be better than just getting out there. I think that part of the reason people don't get as inspired as they could be by art and 
and I include movies as art, is that they think art has to reflect real life all the time, 100% to be valuable. They see one thing that seems far-fetched or too Hollywood or whatever, and they dismiss other really important messages that they might take from the movie. The thing I want to leave you with about both of these movies, or about any movie that means something to you, is that I want you to look for even the smallest moment in the film, the smallest thing you can take to heart and use in your life. Maybe it is just saying yes to a party thrown by a co-worker, something you'd never do. Maybe it's picking up a skateboard again after many years. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Maybe something amazing will happen, and you won't know unless you try. So thanks for coming over. I hope you enjoyed movie night. Clean up your popcorn bags. As I said, um, any suggestions for future movie nights, please let me know. I'd like to compare two similar movies, I think, but we can always just talk about one as well. If there's anything you would like to discuss, I'm, I'm all ears. So that's it for this week. Thanks again for joining me. Stay cozy, stay warm, and I'll talk to you again next week. 